It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. May 28, 1944, 10 days prior to D-Day, there was a lockdown. If some of you have struggled with the COVID-19 lockdown, then it would probably do you good to study the lockdown of 1944 aboard the ships on the eastern coastline of Great Britain. The soldiers were informed of their assignment to storm the beaches of Normandy, and then they were sealed into their boats. It was 10 harrowing days beaten about by bad weather and dreadful thoughts of a pending deadly engagement. Hey, this is Eric. The reason this lockdown is so profound is that out of it came possibly the most defining and history-shaping victory in all of war history. The good guys triumphed, and it was after a lockdown. I can't help but cherish that parallel. This message was delivered during the Pastors Leaders Summit, September 1st through 3rd. In the crowd are a whole bunch of godly men and women that are preparing to spiritually storm the beaches of Normandy. Be encouraged, Church of Jesus Christ. You are not alone in this battle. So every morning on the uh, Ellerslie campus throughout the week, we will have a daily thunder uh, message. And so you guys are basically just arriving at a message uh, that we're going to be giving throughout the week. And so it's it, the way I chose to do this, which was a tactical maneuver, uh, is I decided to just keep the flow going that we would normally have. You guys are just stepping into it, and which is why you see yeah, you have a World War II message last night. I mean, how bizarre is that? I'm so, sure some of you were thinking, that is so weird. No, episode, what was it, 65 uh, that you guys get last night? And however, what I've seen God doing is he is taking all of our lives and he is strategically positioning them together. There's something that you're coming into, and this, there's a momentum here. And I want to share that momentum with you. But I also want you to share your momentum with me and with each other. And so I'm not going to presume that what's going on here just needs to be uh, uh, you know, removed from the table just so that we can pause and do something different. I want to bring you into what we're doing here. And one of the things I've seen is that as I've been progressing through World War II, which I know might seem strange to some of you, as I've said... I have been so moved by the timing of things. And even I prepared our, our church and our, our staff this week that it's like we're arriving at D-Day uh, as uh, this is happening. This has been going on for a long time. I mean, this war has been taking forever to get through. And we're arriving at literally this breakthrough moment as we are gathering. And to me, that means something. It's like the language of my soul as I go through these things. And so... Uh, I know that we have quite a diversity of backgrounds here, and some of you could even squirm in your seat when Eric so boldly starts talking about war. And yet, I have no attraction to war, personally, at all. And I would be probably more like a Desmond Doss uh, if, if you were to get me into a World War II situation. It's like, I, I really don't want to carry a gun. It's like, you're gonna go without a gun? I, I literally have no attraction to harming people. I am the golden retriever sort of guy. And I wag my tail when a German comes over. And by the way, I'm German. Okay, that's another thing that should get out on the table. <laughs> but I... I do not delight in physical warfare in any certain sense, I, but I have an attraction for war, which is what you see, but it's not, not for the same reasons some kind. It's not to grunt and growl and to beat someone up and to get some, uh, some deep pent-up emotion out. I have a deep understanding of war because I live in it. I am in the midst of a battle 
And as I have stood up to resist an enemy, that enemy wants to take me out. And I begin to recognize that there is tactics to this. And I want to position myself to win. I want to position my marriage to win. I want to position my family to win. I want to position my church to win, my ministry to win. I want to position us to win. So at whatever level you understand what I just said, that's the way I want you to engage this. I'm not trying to convince the non-resistance crowd in here to you know, suddenly catch a vision for going to war. That is, has nothing to do with my agenda. I have a desire to move us all into an active state of readiness for an engagement with an enemy. And so even though we may engage that enemy slightly different, someone in here says you need the gun, someone in here says I refuse to carry the gun, we still work together. And that's what I'm appealing to as we progress through this. The caged lion. C.T. Studd, uh, one of my heroes, uh, has a quote that I think you'll enjoy. But he's not speaking just about uh, earthly soldiers in a physical realm. He's actually referencing the church of Jesus Christ. This is from his writings in the book, The Chocolate Soldiers. And at first you're thinking, a chocolate soldier. I'd like to, if I was gonna be a soldier, a chocolate one would be a good one. I really like chocolate. You don't wanna be a chocolate soldier because when the heat comes, chocolate melts. And that's what he's talking about. No more chocolate soldiers. We don't need that. In a time of peace and ease, true soldiers are like captive lions, pacing back and forth and fretting in their cages. These genuine soldiers are built for fight, and it is war that gives these soldiers their liberty and sends them, like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or die in the attempt. There's an enunciation there that I would like to sort of grab and stick inside of our souls. First of all, we are in an engagement right now, whether we want to be or not. It's sort of like we've been drafted into a military. Some of us you know, signed up and we're like, I want to fight. Others are not so eager, but we got drafted. And now suddenly we're in boot camp and we're being trained. There is a reticence that is very dangerous for a soldier. There is something that is needed in the Christian life, and that is an eagerness for engagement. And I've said this multiple times throughout this uh, World War II series, that when you are prepared for a test, you want the test. When you're unprepared for a test, you don't want the test, okay? It's a simple rule of life. If you remember studying for tests, like you know all the flashcards, then what do you do? You hand them to someone, so, no, test me, test me, test me. You want to prove that you know it. It's the same with life. It's the same with leadership. Everything we're in right now, when we're ready for it, we actually smile at it. The question is, are you ready? If you are scared of what the enemy's bringing against you, you're scared about uh, his power being exerted in this world, and you aren't certain that God is a greater power. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. If God is for you, who can stand against you? No weapon fashioned by our enemy is going to prosper against the church of Jesus Christ. Question is, do you know that? Are you ready? Are your feet grounded? Are you sound? If you know you serve the stronger power, if you know that your military general has never lost a battle, and you have the swagger, if you understand the victory of your God, then you do not fear the trial or the test. You anticipate it. You're a caged lion, fretting in your cage, desirous to move forward. Now, it's weird because I've studied a lot of uh, war history, and one of the things that has always stood out to me because it's so contrasted with me was that these men were excited for battle. 
Like, when is the spring going to come? When is the spring going to come? Because that used to be the big deal. They had to wait for the season of war. It's like, oh, the winter months. This is killing me. And I'm thinking, I'm fine. Let's keep winter going as long as... I, I have no desire to bound out of that cage and to fight a war. Believe me, I have no interest in that. And so what I want to do is not take the physical warfare illustration, even though we're using it here. I want to bring it into the spiritual zone. And I want us to start chewing on that, to say, Lord, I want your attitude towards this engagement that we're in. If you could start smiling at the circumstances right now and say, this is our hour, church. We're being prepared to hit the enemy. And we get excited. I tell you what, it changes everything. Suddenly songs in prison cells make more sense. Suddenly leaping for joy makes a little more sense as opposed to just text in scriptures like, huh, well, what does that mean? Well, Paul, good for you, but wow, I have no idea why you're saying rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You're in prison right now. You see, when you do understand it, you get it. And you're like, no, this is actually when you want to be alive. Right now, this is when you want to have what we have as leaders. You want it packaged inside of you. You want the ready, the ready maturity for right now. You get to be chosen for this battle. Oh, this is good. That's why we need it. Because some of you are listening to me going, yeah, but that's not where I am. And that's precisely why this idea is critical. Sebastian Junger, and I'm not at all trying to uh, get you to read any of his writings, but he, he writes on war and the attitude of war. This is just fascinating because we're talking about earthly war here. We're talking about earthly soldiers, not talking about men that know Christ, and you're going to see a mindset. It's just interesting. War is insanely exciting. <laughs> Whoa, uh, stop. What? I mean, I've never been in that sort of war. And so I have, that doesn't sound true. If you've ever seen one of those war movies like that, that's, I mean, it's, I can't even hardly watch it, let alone be in it. It is the worst thing in the world, inflicting both physical and emotional injuries, yet the people who have been through it often miss it terribly. Huh. Well, that's odd. Next slide. Afghanistan veteran. There is nothing like war in the world. If it's negative 20 degrees outside, you're sweating. If it's 120, you're ice cold. It's an adrenaline rush like you can't imagine. <laughs> so here's a guy, I, I've never been in war. There's a few of you in here that have. And so it's like, okay. However, you translate that to my world. You say, Eric, tell me about being on the front lines spiritually. Huh. And then you stick up a quote like that and say, so tell me. I mean, Sebastian Younger is going to talk about war this way. Huh. Would you like to be removed from the battle? I mean, Eric, you're, you're dealing with a lot of things. In fact, I've heard you grumble a few times about it. Eric, where are you at? Do you want to be uh, relieved from duty? Don't take me off my post. I want it. I, I secretly love it. <laughs> it's a weird thing. I love the engagement. I do. And so I actually understand what this is talking about in a strange way. C.T. Studd. Send me to the death zone. This guy, if there's a hard job, he wants it. In fact, if it's an easy job, he doesn't want it. So he wants to go to China. And then when he gets to China, Hudson, he's working under Hudson Taylor in the China Inland Mission. And then Hudson Taylor has this impossible task for two of his men to go to. He shoots up his hand. Send me. It's like, no, no. No, 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 no. That, you could die. Send me. And then after having, you know, he's been in India, he's been in interior Africa, he comes home, his body is just decaying, dying, he's on his deathbed, 
And news from David Livingston comes back that there are unreached peoples in the central uh, piece of, of Africa. And no, no one has ever reached them with the gospel. And there he is on his deathbed. He's like, Lord, don't pick a young guy. Pick me. And he gets up. No missionary society will send him. He sends himself. Well, he says, God's sending me. He says, I have a mission society of one. His name is the Almighty. And he goes off. And he literally, as an old man with a beaten down body, changes modern missions. Literally turns it on its head. Send me to the death zone. Any, any guy of white, pale skin that comes here could die within a few weeks because their bodies are unfamiliar with the diseases. Lord, send me. You know what? This guy's going to last 20 years there. Why? He'd already had all the diseases. <laughs> it's an extraordinary story. Jim Elliott. Lord, choose me to reach the Aucas. Don't, don't look to anyone else. There could be other guys raising their hand, but please, I desire to be the one. You do know the Akas are the most dangerous tribe, and you do know that they kill anyone who would dare get close to them, right? You, you do know that. Lord, please, let me be the one to reach the Aka Indians. Cuckoo. You see, it looks cuckoo on the outside, but when you get the Holy Spirit moving inside of you and training you to think like he thinks, you suddenly find a desire for an odd form of living. I remember actually praying. We were up in our, uh, our upper room is what we called it, above our garage, and that's where we prayed. It was in our previous house. And I had this burden to pray for a child, very specifically, that was in a vulnerable state, and I was asking God that I could be his father. And I had so much weight at that point in my life. I already had two kids that were uh, really young, and I didn't need another weight in my life. I think I had, I don't know what it was, a three-year-old and a one-year-old at the time, and the weights of all the ministry. And I find myself asking God for something. I remember I stopped because I felt sort of bad asking that I would have the privilege of being this little boy's father whose name is now Kipling and he is my son. And I stopped and I told Leslie, I go, do you realize how supernatural this is? Because I don't have no idea why I desire this. Why do I desire to add more complexity and more difficulty and more challenge to my life? But I do. Lord, I'm craving this opportunity. Please, it's like you've built me for this. Could I have the privilege? May 28th, 1944, the lockdown commences. The lion is caged. We need a sound of like a cage closing. <laughs> there is a lockdown right before the greatest breakthrough in war history. Isn't that an interesting thought? And so I just want us to, there's a lockdown. Now, lockdowns are probably normal in, in war. I, I haven't studied a lot of lockdowns. All I see is this one. This is such a huge event that is taking place and it is has so many forces that are coming in and they're working overtime trying to convince Hitler that they're going anywhere but where they're going and it, it's working I mean they, they it's it's almost like chuckle chuckle tee hee it's working and Hitler is buying it all his uh mutton Jeff uh routines of turning the uh, Nazi spies to actually use them as uh informants for their agenda I mean it's brilliant it's great and yet what has to happen is they have to bring in the lower level commanders into the plan at a certain point in time. 
And that's May 28th, 1944. Remember, June 5th is the target date for D-Day. It's going to end up being June 9th. June 9th. June 6th. Sorry about that, guys. It's going to end up being 10 days from this point. And so this is, they have to inform, but once they inform them, it's locked down. No one can leak this out. This is high-level security. On May 28th, this is Winston Churchill. On May 28th, subordinate commanders were informed that D-Day would be June 5th. From this moment, all personnel committed to the assault were sealed in their ships or at their camps and assembly points ashore. All mail was impounded and private messages of all kinds forbidden except in case of personal emergency. You know, so we've been complaining about this whole lockdown thing, but a lockdown could be a predecessor to uh, something big. See, I like the way, the way we can turn these things. Instead of complaining about the lockdown, it's like, hey, we're just being sealed in because we're about to hit the beaches. So 10 days in lockdown. Of course, it's supposed to be nine, which makes it all the more difficult for that 10th day. Could you imagine what that'd be like, especially if you're a caged lion, especially if you are building up this momentum to hit the beaches. This has to be a hard moment. I don't know what it would be like to be stuck in a ship in that whole time. And of course, there's huge storms hitting it. It's like, oh, could you imagine what that would be like to know what is up ahead? The season of proving. And I'm gonna say it right before the giant falls. Okay, so that should give a hint towards a different story in history where there was, in a sense, a lockdown, in a sense, a proving period where you have a lion and then you stick him in a cage. You anoint a young boy with oil and you declare him king and then you send him back to the sheep. Okay, now, that, that seems unfair. That, that's not even right. Could you imagine being David? This is actually the defining season. This man now has the power of the Holy Spirit in his shepherding, and instead of using it and wielding it to lead a nation, he needs to do small things well. And so his first tests are going to be with things like lions and bears, so that he is ready for when that cage opens. Each of us has seasons like this, and I don't know, you could be right in the middle of a season where you are in the cage where you have the sense of what God is doing, but for whatever reason, you are in the cage season. It's like, I have so much energy and it's ready to bounce. Some of you might be in a cage and you're afraid that the door is gonna creep open and God's gonna say, it's time. You're like, uh, I don't know that I'm ready. Which is why it's so important to allow this season to train us and ready us for when that door opens, we are ready to bound out of it. So the season of proving right before the giant falls. David tending the sheep, awaiting his commission. I've walked through the story of David. I'm sure many of you have. It happens to be sort of a fan favorite for most of us as, as men. There's something that we can deeply relate to. And the overlooking of David so many times, where he's the right man for the job, and yet God seems to almost hide him. He, I mean, he's even invited into Saul's palace to, to play his harp. And he's even ministering to Saul. And here he is, this rightful king. And yet he's doing a servant's work. And it's an incredible thing to just witness how God preps and grooms his men and women for the hour. And if we will accept it, I, I always say the hardest moment would be, imagine being sent home from Saul's palace and to his father again. Why? Because the Philistines are invading and Saul needs to go to war. And so David gets sent home and he's, of course, expecting as the rightful king of Israel, the anointed king of Israel, that he would be sent. But instead, his brothers get sent, and he 
goes to the sheep. Could you imagine what that would be like? All the men are out there doing their job, and you, probably the best warrior in the country, are the one that isn't invited. And this is the ultimate proving ground. I, and I always sort of picture this moment of, his fa- of David saying, Father, can I go? And then Jesse saying, David, I appreciate your, your zeal and your desire. But right now, the best thing you can do for your family and for your country is to tend to those sheep. Could you do that for me, son? Yes, father. Probably the, one of the hardest yes fathers you've ever heard. Except for maybe one other one. How about this? Hey, David, your dad wants to see you. I think he wants to send you to the battle. David comes running home. Yes, father. Is, is it time for me to go? Yes, David. Uh, I would like you to go to the battle. Oh, thank you, father. But, oh, not, not to fight. Uh, I would like you to deliver bread and cheese. <laughs> what? And this readying season is what every single one of us needs to accept. Many of us in here know and we sense a calling upon our life, a significance. It's one of the things God does. He's a good father. So he will hint to us of the weightiness of the role that he wants to invite us into. But then he will hold us back purposely to ready us. And part of that readying is to lower us that we submit to him because if we're going to lead well, it cannot be us, it must be him in us. And so that readying is so critical, that bounding out of the cage is because he has moved in and he is ready to engage. So if you feel that cowardice that is very common in humanity, in the midst of this growing darkness, just know that that's normal. What's abnormal is a man who will humble himself and say, Lord, I want to be your man, your woman. I want you to fill me. I want you to lower me. I want you to grind me, do whatever you need to, to prepare me to be used so that I can bound out of this cage with your strength. So here's the way I want us to look at it today is that when we are in that lockdown season, when we're in that cage or when we're staring at the ominous future right now, because I, I know, I know the discussions it's like, what if this guy gets elected? What's going to happen to us as leaders? Okay, I, I, I know. I, I know the discussions. I know the thought processes. Uh, what if this darkness continues to marshal its strength and no one stands up against it? Well, you could play it out. Well, imagine being in lockdown in a boat, knowing that you're about to hit the beaches of Normandy, and where they have strong German fortifications, guns aimed right at the beach that you're supposed to jump onto. You could imagine as a soldier trying to mentally prepare for this. Every thought is like a lion. And how you handle your thoughts becomes very, very important. Because if you allow your thoughts to come in and grab the sheep from your life and just run with them and bring fear and trepidation in, then you're not being readied for the day. But if you learn to take every thought captive and to grab it and to break its jaw and to not allow it to have control over your life, you are being readied to hit beaches. And I, I, since I've never been on an Omaha beach, I can only imagine, and I have, if, it's always been my quintessential picture of the preparations of a man. When that 
door of the transport vehicle goes down and the bullets are flying, how do I move forward? Do I paralyze and do I stand, you know, and then just sort of fall over? Do I dive into the water and try and hide? Do I go behind a rock? Or do I move forward where I'm supposed to go? My commander says, run! To the rocks, to the hills, to the cliffs! Oh, we all are getting a command right now. It's like, all right, when we empty this transport vehicle, it's straight to the cliffs. And so you have thoughts. Every thought is a lion. How are you handling those thoughts? Every emotion is a bear. And you need to learn to wrestle this and bring it into alignment. There is one role that we play. God is the ruler of our life. He's the Lord of our life. He is the sustenance of our life. He is preeminent in all things. And yet he has given us a responsibility. And that is to take from what he gives us and to exercise it and do it. And he says, that thought will not rule you. You must take authority over it. You cannot just say, God, you're going to have to take authority over it. You see, it's an interesting disposition that sounds very spiritual, but when you take the word responsibility and you switch it around, in order in what you have is ability to respond. And there is a grace that God has given to us, and it's an ability that is supernatural, don't get me wrong, to respond to the situation we are in. A leader has responsibility. We have been given grace for our job description. You have been given grace for your thought life. You have been given grace for your emotional center. You have been given grace to appropriate this encroaching darkness, this call that you have, and then to engage with it with a supernatural perspective. Every fear is a panther. Every selfish notion, a wolf. If you are ruled by selfish notions, if you're ruled by fear, you will be a retreater. You will be one who will run from the battle and you will cower in the day of testing. However, if like David, you are prepared with lion, with bear, with panther, with wolf, to care for the sheepfold of your own soul, your own thought life, your family, your marriage, your kids, your, your church, if you learn to tend to these things with a growl, to recognize that this is territory that has been entrusted to you and if something moves against it, you are training on the response. That response to smaller issues prepares you for the bigger issues that could be up ahead after the lockdown. The ready warrior, proven in the hidden season when no one's looking, no one sees the lion, no one sees the bear, no one sees the victory over the panther and the wolf, no one's applauding you, no one's giving you the thumbs up, but that is the readying season. You're prepared, you're proven in the hidden season so that you're readied for the public season. Some of us may be called to take stands that will be highly visible. Some of us will have to take stands that no one will ever see. One of Hitler's agendas was to remove the concept of martyrdom in, in Germany. It's a fascinating statement. But he knew that the worst thing he could do is give someone a last statement. And so as a result, the moment he sensed that someone was against his regime and could undermine it, he would silently take them away, kill them. So their family didn't even know. It's like, what happened to him? We don't know. He just disappeared. <laughs> I mean, that's literally how it works. So if you showed any anti-sentiments uh, towards the rulership of Hitler, you're just dead. You don't have a final speech like, hey, everyone, I just want you to know that Hitler's a bad guy. 
you know, forsake him, turn on him. There's no martyrdom speech. Some of us will have to stand in that day and never be known for what we did. We're readied, whatever that means. David says, as he arrives at this incredible scene in history, is there not a cause? Now, the context for that is interesting because it's sort of a similar context. When Eliab, who is a brother, right? (laughs) A brother, I'm gonna emphasize that word. A brother is going to challenge him because David's gonna say, we can take this on. He's responding with a fearlessness. And what does his brother say? He accuses him of a different motive. It's pride. Okay, we have an interesting dynamic taking place in the church because there's some of us that are ready to take this on. And yet there's a whole sector in the brotherhood of believers, if you want to say it that way, which is deeply offended by such an action or such a notion. This creates a tension. Well, it was creating a tension back then, too. Causefulness versus carefulness. Uh, I don't know if you can feel the, uh, the, the challenge here, and I, I would love for you to study Scripture if this is an issue for you, and uh, give me an argument biblically uh, for causefulness and an uh, argument biblically for carefulness and see which one wins. Which one are we supposed to be? Careful? Are we supposed to be anxious? Because the word careful and anxious are oftentimes synonyms. In fact, different translations are going to be anxious for nothing. And over and over again, Jesus will say that. Be careful for nothing. Now, that doesn't mean to turn off your brain and to just you know, jump off a cliff. It means to not give way to that controlling element in your life. This is not how we live. This is not the defining factor. This is not the arbiter of our decisions, is our carefulness. But when we are causeful, I'm making that word up. I've never heard the word in my life. But David has a cause that he sees. The glory of God is hanging in the balance. The health of the church is hanging in the balance. The truth of the gospel is hanging in the balance. Is, is there not a cause? Am I the only one that sees that this is an issue of life and death and it's eternal? And I am moved. However, you get the voices around you that say, oh, it's pride. It's the same thing that David's gonna run into. So Eliab, his brother, is gonna say, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So, welcome to the battle, guys. This is a hard time. It's a hard time to move forward with boldness and courage when the very ones around you that should have your back are the very ones that actually could be your greatest critiquers. This is a challenging moment, but there's a need. Is there not a cause? I want you to lean towards causefulness and to forsake carefulness as your guide. Is there not a cause? The fretting lion makes his case. So I'm calling David the fretting lion. He's in a cage. I mean, could you imagine being this guy? He knows what he can do. He, he's been groomed for this, and yet no one has recognized it yet, except for some old geezer named Samuel that I'm guessing Jesse and his brothers didn't, probably thought was a kook. Because technically, Eliab should be saying, you are the rightful king of Israel, Whatever you desire to do, I will follow. That's the rightful way. Instead, he's mocking him. He's holding him in contempt. So I don't know if they thought 
Samuel was an old geezer. I'm not exactly sure what the logic is in, Je- in Jesse's home, but Jesse is not given a strong push behind that ram's horn of oil being poured upon David. So David has one advocate, and that is God himself. I mean, this is a lonely road. He's a lion fretting in his cage. And the fretting lion makes his case. David speaking unto Saul, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Locking down the lions. So let's just walk through a little World War II history. The weather now began to cause anxiety. A fine spell was giving way to unsettled conditions, and henceforward a commander's meeting was held twice daily to study the weather reports. Winston Churchill continues, June 3rd brought little encouragement. A rising westerly wind was whipping up a moderate sea. There was heavy cloud and lowering cloud base. Predictions for June 5 were gloomy. So if you're just an everyday soldier, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you're just stuck in a ship waiting. And now you're getting beaten with these storms and you know it's going to be an amphibious landing. You you know enough, but you're not going to get final details probably until the last minute. Ismay, who's a general from the British side, came back and reported the bleak news. This is Winston Churchill speaking. Those who had seen the array in the Solent felt that the movement was now as impossible to stop as an avalanche. This much movement from the coastlines of Great Britain, you can't stop this. This is like stopping an avalanche. So they're going to hold it off for one day. That's a huge deal. We were haunted by the knowledge that if the bad weather continued and the postponement had to be prolonged beyond June 7, we could not again get the necessary combination of moon and tide for at least another fortnight. Meanwhile, the troops had all been briefed. They clearly could not be kept on board these tiny ships indefinitely. How was a leakage to be prevented? How are you going to keep this in? You can't just keep them in boats forever. You can't keep them in lockdown forever. Boy, does that sound like something we might say. (laughs) Meanwhile aboard the ships. The lions fret in their cages. It was a hard day for the thousands of men cooped up in landing craft all round the coast. Conditions were bad, typical of December rather than June, but the weather experts gave some promise of a temporary improvement on the morning of the 6th. After this, they predicted a return of rough weather for an indefinite period. Faced with the desperate alternatives of accepting the immediate risks or of postponing the attack for at least a fortnight, General Eisenhower, with the advice of his commanders boldly, and as it proved wisely, chose to go ahead with the operation. Lions set free. There comes a point where that gate or that cage door is going to open in each of our lives. The question is, are you ready to bound? Right now, for some of us, we are to restrain ourselves. We are to maintain uh, just business as usual. But there can come a time when you need to stand up and be very straightforward in the stand that you have as a leader. I can't define that for you. I don't know what the general's plans are for us. I just know we have to be ready. We have to be ready and decided ahead of time, and we need to be in fretting position. I know it sounds funny. I'm saying don't be careful for anything. A fretting lion, he has to get out of this cage. I need to get out of this cage. I am not meant for a cage. There's a fretting lion for you. Lion set free. David, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So, this word, the reason I brought this up is just to show you what a lion does. 
This, this word mahar in the Hebrew, which is the word hastened, actually means to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. Isn't that good? Who, who do we think is the lion in this story? Well, Goliath. And yet who's moving like the lion? Bounding from a cage, David. You see, he's ready for this, guys. He has been prepared. He has been humbled. He has been weakened. He has been overlooked. He has been dismissed. He has been falsely accused. Perfect. That's what he needed. That's what he needed to be ready for this day. Ignatius let loose from the cage. So Ignatius, the disciple of John the Apostle. Uh, could you imagine being discipled by John the Apostle? That's pretty exciting. So let's watch this man. Uh, some couriers, or I don't know if it's word of mouth. I don't remember how it was announced to him. But some news is going to come to him. And it is, Ignatius, you are to be fed to the lions or the wild beasts in the morning. Okay, so let's watch him. How is he going to respond to this? To him, it's the cage door open. And he shouts, my salvation has finally come. Cuckoo. This man is going to reference and refer to the lions as his friends. Because they are the ones that are going to bring him into the presence of the one he loves. This is his dream. Oh Lord, haste the day that my faith will be made sight. This is the movement of soul within the believer to give of ourselves gladly to even if we're stoned in Lystra and we're drug outside the city and we pop back up on our feet, what do we do? Let's go back in, guys. It's a lion roar within the saints of God that is ready to bound out of any cage. God, if you have released me from my cage, praise you. I am ready to do your work. If that means the work of Paul coming back into Lystra and living, or if that means the work of Ignatius being fed to wild beasts in the morning. Praise God. Final illustration. Germanicus sprinting towards the beasts. Sprinting. He is being fed to wild beasts, guys. Let's, let's zoom in on uh, Germanicus. Germanicus, cuckoo. He gets that smirk. This is how I envision it, at least. He gets the smirk. It's like, yeah, my time has come. He sprints towards them. What in the world is that? You see, there is a bounding out of the cage that is cultivated within each of us. Right now, you may not be in the bounding position. So, go after it. Say, God, this is where I want you to do your business. I want you to train me. And he says, okay, you want me to train you. We think it's just some kind of input, like an injection of, you know, some kind of testosterone shot. And some of the girls are like, don't, please, I don't want, don't want that. It's something heavenly that goes into us, which it is. God has given us what we need. He's already given us the supply. What we have to do is exercise what we have. And so when you have that thought come into your head that is foreboding, that is fretful, you have to know how to run after it, grab it, and remove the prey from its teeth. No, 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 you're not running off with my soul. No, 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 you're not running off with my perspective. No, 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 you're not running away and making my decisions for me. My decisions belong to Jesus Christ. His word is governing me. Whoa, hey, get back with that feeling. No way are you going to try and control me. I will not be led by my feelings. I will be led by the spirit of God, by his word. 
And so as a result, there is a necessary growl, lion's roar that needs to be taking place within us as the saints right now to be made ready for that day. Is there not a cause? I don't know what weight you put on the things that are taking place today, but to me, this is what we dream of as men and women of God. If I could pick a time in history, it's like you look at the map and you're like, okay, look at me. Oh, this would be fun. It would be really great to live there. And most of us, I, I know how we think, because I, I, I have the same instinct. It's like, I do not want to be alive right now. <laughs> and yet to flip that and to say, but what does God think? What's his perspective? What would the saints of God throughout the ages think? How would C.T. Studd appropriate this? How would Jim Elliott appropriate such a thing? They would say, oh, how? Jim Elliott's probably like, what? I got stuck back then? Oh, God, I would have been perfect for that time. And most of us are thinking that too. He's like, Jim, where's Jim Elliott right now? Where's C.T. Studd right now? I actually think those guys with different names are in this room right now. The reason we're gathering is a gathering of the mighties to rally together to say, yeah, 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 that's right. You see, the enemy wants to isolate us. What I want us to labor to do is come together with a common purpose, and we say, is there not a cause? Is there not something worthy of our life here? Is there not something worthy of us expending everything we have? Our time, our energies, our resources. Is there not a cause? And with a hearty response, it's like, yeah, this is our hour. This is when we want to be alive. We got one shot at this thing called life. And we have the privilege of doing something that even the angels wish they could just don our body for one day and do what they see so clearly needs to be done. And yet we have the body and we don't see clearly what needs to be done. We need to see clearly what we need to do in this body right now. Lord, give us that insight. Give us that sight, that clarity of vision. Give us the soundness of mind. Lord Jesus, train us for battle. Train us for engagement. Ready us to stand up against the giants of fear, of lawlessness, of delusion and deception, of carnality. Lord Jesus, teach us how to lovingly respond to Eliab. Teach us how to live boldly right now. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.